I'm Letitia, and this is Series 3 of the New Leaf Podcast, created for new and working mums everywhere. New Leaf interviews working women from a huge variety of industries to share their journeys of what happened to them after having babies, exploring the often huge professional and personal identity shifts that happen when we create the next generation. Our jobs are a huge part of who we are, and we don't stop being who we always were just because we've had a baby. There is huge pressure to be the perfect mummy when actually she doesn't exist and return to the perfect career when actually that doesn't really exist either. We are all muddling through and figuring it out. By sharing these amazing women's stories, I want to prove to you that motherhood is truly a rebirth in ways we never expect. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at New Leaf Podcast if you want to continue the conversation with the hashtag MyMotherhoodMyChoice. Before we get going though, I've got something special and free lined up for you. Click the episode details to subscribe to New Leaf Nutshell, my exclusive fortnightly summary write-up of these episodes with judgment-free motherhood tips and tricks, general musings and interesting articles about all things women straight to your phone. All factual articles or tips are academically supported so that you can feel confident you have the right information to make the right choice for your family. Doing all the Googling so you don't have to. Okay, let's go. This guest is the live wire Louise Boyce, aka the hilarious Mama Still Got It, who joins me on episode two, series three of the New Leaf podcast. I found Louise after asking my followers who they'd like me to interview, and it didn't take much of a good Instagram store to see why Louise was the hot choice. Her reels genuinely had me in stitches laughing, and after having read a bit more of how she got to where she is, I realised that her story would be too good not to share. Louise is a blogger, a mum of three, and a model for over 20 years with an impressively large Instagram following, over 200,000 at last count who I interviewed when I was still pregnant with my own second little boy, Baby A. Louise's becoming a mother massively changed the way she felt about herself, like so, so many of us. But her motherhood led to the beginning of a truly incredible career and life change. Her website is an impressive platform for skincare, general well-being, fashion and cosmetics that all exist to help bring some sparkle and self-care when perhaps we don't feel very sparkly as mums. Mama Still Got It's mission is to help women return to their shiny selves, banishing the, as Louise says in the episode, the foggy, the dreary, and the blah that motherhood can sometimes make us feel. So Louise's business is built from the want to feel and look like ourselves. Funnily enough, I am on board, and I bet you are too. Identity change is a huge point of New Leaf. We turn over this huge new leaf when we have babies and it frequently has a huge impact on our personal and professional lives. So I wanted to interview Louise as someone whose back to work journey involved building an entire brand around the importance of not only retaining personal identity, but making it even better. I know myself how unbelievably important this feeling of Mama Still Got It is to me and that feeling feminine and strong post baby has helped me to find myself again. In this episode, Louise describes in detail the journey to the Mama Still Got It empire from the heroin chic modeling culture she battled with in the 90s, which led to a serious eating disorder, all the way through to her eureka moment, where after the birth of her second child, she realized that actually Mama Still Got It and wanted to help other women feel the same way too. 
She also discusses her outstanding campaign to get well-known fashion brands to declare when they've used models with fake bumps for maternity clothes, which has fundamentally changed the landscape of UK maternity fashion. This honestly is one impressive lady, and the rest is history. Louise describes each of her three births, each extremely dramatic and impactful in their own unique ways, and each birth as a vastly different postnatal experience. And it showed me once again that birth stories never really repeat themselves. Our babies have their own ideas, and we are often merely a participant. The stories are amazing, and although I was, I think, about 38 weeks pregnant when we recorded and terrified of giving birth again, Louise's story actually really helped me at the time to embrace the unknown and work with what I knew. Her story is both scary and beautiful all at the same time, but don't worry, it is a happy ending, I promise, for all three births. Louise's positive attitude with a healthy dose of realism, swear words and general hilarity was super refreshing to listen to. And as someone who's a bit further down the baby track than I am, it was inspiring to see someone as vibrant and funny as Louise being incredibly successful at something she loves with three children, fully embracing her femininity and glamour in a way that yes, definitely says mama still got it. Introducing the practically fizzing beautiful Louise Boyce. Welcome, Louise. Hello. Thanks for having me. We got there in the end, didn't we? We did. We've had an absolute nightmare, to put it mildly, recording today, but it's fine. It's not just today, though, is it? I got the wrong day the other day. Yeah, I've had to cancel and then you I a got, few times. Exactly, and then I got the wrong day, and then we're both dealing with sleep progressions. Yes. And just making everything really complicated. So anyway, I'm really grateful that you're joining me. Um, so tell me, where are you in the world right now? And other than my lovely face, what can you see in front of you? I can see a tree, um, which is nice. I'm currently sitting in my spare room, but it's a garage, and it's my space, which is nice. This is like my place where I can do podcasts and work and try new makeup and make silly videos. And this is my space and I love it. It's all mine. I love it. And tell me, so who is in your immediate family unit? Well, my husband, his name is Jesse. And then I have three children. I have Basil, who is nine, which I can't believe. Sunny, who is five. And Inca, who is, well, she'll be two in August. Mm. So whatever months that is, I don't know. Were you very happy that the third ended up being a girl? Yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> but we didn't have a third for that reason. I think a lots of people thought that because we obviously had two boys, but we, we just wanted three children. And my husband's one of three boys. So we just assumed that it, it would be a boy. So when it was a girl, obviously we're like, oh, wow. And then we're like, we have no idea what we're doing with a girl. It's a different kettle of fish. But yeah, obviously just, just grateful that the you know baby's healthy I think that's the main thing really of course and you talked about funny videos I mean you have such a following and I'm not really surprised because I laugh out loud every single time so if you had to describe what you do now for a living how would you describe it (laughs) (laughs) make a fool of myself I do you know it's weird how this came about really I have been a model for the last 25 years and that was my main source of income and that was my work and then obviously the pandemic hit and it all stopped and I literally went from working to having absolutely nothing And I started making these funny videos as a sign for me to kind of have a bit of joy because at the time I was feeling quite anxious about COVID and what the future held financially. And my husband lost his job during 
the, uh, the pandemic. So we could have been really panicked by it all. And so I decided to just turn to laughter and kind of change the content that I do on my Instagram page. I guess before the pandemic, it was very much my life as a working model and then being a mum, but a lot of it wasn't video. And then I just started doing funny videos as a way to kind of make myself feel better. And I kind of thought if I can make other people laugh, then maybe it will make people feel better about the whole situation that we were in. And I was quite nervous putting it out on Instagram because it's not my usual content. And you kind of think, well, what, you know, people are gonna be like, what the hell is this? But it turns out people like to laugh. And also it's just normal, everyday, really boring things that we do as mothers or wives or generally that we can relate to and laugh at it. So my job went from being a model and I still am a model, but because of all these videos, I then kind of turned into this content creator, <laughs> which is cool actually. So it means that I get to shoot videos at home for certain brands and I really enjoy it actually, it's, it's cool. And have you seen your following change a lot over the pandemic? Yeah, so it's crazy actually, because this time last year, I think I had about 20,000 followers, which is a lot of followers, but then I saw it just grow and grow and grow because people were just sharing the videos and it was quite overwhelming actually at first because you see a number on your Instagram page and you're like I know that's a lot of people but is it actually are they actually real are people, real and, people? Then, yeah. and then I've realised you have to be a bit more careful you know there are certain things that if I put out like anything political or whatever it's like you'll, you'll get quite a lot of backlash and people are like oh god but generally it's been really great and I'm really grateful for everyone that's followed me and shared and liked and commented it means a lot because at the time I didn't really know what the hell I was doing and just kind of threw myself into making videos which is completely not what I went on Instagram to do in the first place. It's mad isn't it because I think with reels and things Instagram as a space is just completely changed because I think previously it's all about capturing that moment in time and then it's just sort of evolved from Instagram trying to slightly rip off TikTok and make things funnier. I think reels have just really changed the space oh, yeah. and provided a completely different opportunity. Yeah, well, I mean, I downloaded TikTok, I think it must have been March 2020, when I was feeling really anxious about coronavirus and schools were shutting for the first time. I needed to laugh. So I downloaded TikTok and I was belly laughing. And I think Instagram realized actually this is a social media platform that loads of people were downloading immediately. And I got to a point where I was on TikTok more than I was on Instagram because TikTok made me laugh. And I kind of felt like I could be a bit more silly and be a bit more me. And at the time I felt like Instagram, as much as I, and I do love Instagram, but it felt at the time that it was a bit more, life had to be perfect. And turns out that my life isn't perfect. And I didn't want to portray that message because for me, it's not true. So I was really grateful when Instagram started doing reels because it just meant that I could put my videos on Instagram and I already had following there anyway. So now I'm belly laughing on Instagram and TikTok. So it's nice, actually. And there's changes all the time in social media. Mm, there are. And I'm always really curious to see what's going to pop out next, like what different features or there'll be another app that everyone's oh, really into else, yeah. or something. I'm fascinated. But yeah. I'll just explain how we know each other or rather, again, don't know each other. Basically, I put a post out to my own followers saying, who would you really, really like me to interview who would have a really interesting back to work story? And a couple of people said Louise Boyce. And I was like, I don't, I, don't know, I haven't heard really of Louise. Nice. I don't know who this is. And then 
clicked on your profile and was like, oh my God, this woman is hilarious. And then I messaged one of the girls and said, can you tell me a bit more about why you would want to hear her speak? And she said, well, she just did a lot of campaigning against things like fake bumps in the modelling world. And I thought that was fascinating. So I'd love to just hear more about modelling life before children and what happened when you then had children. Well, thank you, first of all, and thank you to your followers for choosing me. Hello, (laughs) thank you. So I started modelling in the 90s, I think it was 1995, when heroin chic was the look and it was all about Kate Moss and your figure had to be quite like an eight-year-old boy, which wasn't me at all. And even at the age of 15, you could see that I was going to have curves. And at the time when I joined my agency, I was told, like many other girls, to lose weight. Back in the 90s, there wasn't, you know, there's so much diversity now within the the modelling industry, which is fantastic. And it's something that I'm really pleased that I've seen evolve. But back then, if you didn't have a 34-inch hip, you were told to go home and lose the weight and you were given a time scale to do it. And I was told to lose, I think it was about a stone in two weeks. They would literally just say, you need to go and lose weight. This is yeah. how many pounds. Yeah. Oh. Come back when you've lost it. So then you go back, terrified. Obviously you've tortured your body in the meantime. You walk in, they get out the tape measure. They don't even really acknowledge your name or who you are. Or It's a very rude and intimidating situation to be in and obviously when you're 15 16 years old you're still a child you're still completely influenced by all these grown-ups who you look up to and you want to make them believe in you so then you do whatever it takes to try and lose that evolved into having an eating disorder which again was extremely common for lots of models back in the 90s and so yeah i became bulimic and at the time i thought it was a genius idea which just shows how naive and young i was which then I realised, I think it was about two years that I battled with it for. And then, I mean, obviously my family were concerned they could see a change in me. And, and not just me as in like my mental health, but also I looked awful. Obviously, if you throw up twice a day, three times a day, it's going to show in your face, in, in your body, in your soul. And I did, my skin was awful and my teeth were yellow because of all the acid that was coming up at my mouth. And I had like calluses on my knuckles because Mm. of the, you know, it was, was, you know, a really, really grim situation. And my sister, who I'm really close with, was just like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? And so with the help of my family, I got myself out of this. And then I kind of questioned myself. I was like, who am I doing this for? Who am I losing weight for? Who am I trying to impress? And I was like, it's not me. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for somebody else who doesn't respect me or my body. And I'm really pleased that I saw that at such a young age. I think by now I was about 18 and all my friends were going out to pubs, university, having a great time. And I was this girl who was miserable, throwing up food and trying to be somebody that I'm not. So I quit and I ended up working in an office and just grew some confidence and changed my life. And then I got bored in the office. I I think, you know, my boss left and I was just, I was an assistant, but I had no one to assist. So I was going to work and they hadn't replaced my boss. So I was literally there going, oh my God, I am so bored. So out of complete boredom, I just started thinking about modeling again. But at this point in time, so now we're going to 2001, an agency had opened that catered for women that were a size 12 and up. So you could be curvy. And I thought, well, that's more me. Like, oh, you know, I'll give it a go. And and honestly, I have complete and utter boredom. I contacted this agency and I just said, well, hello, I'm here. And the rest is history, to be honest. I quit my job and I started shooting 
for brands that we all know and love all over the world nearly every day for years. And it's been great. And it, the, the bizarre thing is I spent years trying to fit in and be somebody I'm not. And I was miserable. And then as soon as I realised I'm just going to be me, that was when I started to work and be happy. So just be yourself, everyone. Don't try and follow trends or fit in. Just be who you are. So then, obviously, I got pregnant. And at this point now, I'm 31. And I've always known... At this point, I've been in the modelling industry for, for many years and I've always known that fake bumps are used on pregnant models. Always known that. It's just been a known fact. And I thought, to be honest, I thought everybody knew that. So when I was pregnant, I knew that I would just stop working as soon as I started showing. But, so you knew that? So you Yeah, knew no, that. I knew that. Yeah. And I just yeah. accepted it. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's normal. That's the way it goes. And that's fine. And I weirdly, I just thought it was common knowledge. And I wasn't on social media when I had my first and second baby. It was it was in between my second and third that I really started to up my game because at that point it was very important to have it as a model and when I was pregnant with my third I posted a picture of my teeny tiny bump I think I must have been like 17 weeks or something saying well that's me I'm done I'm going on maternity leave because I can't do pregnant modeling because lots of brands use fake bumps foam bumps and the response completely overwhelmed me I I couldn't believe the amount of women who messaged me pregnant or not pregnant saying this is outrageous I had no idea thank you so much because you're comparing yourself to these images you want to look this perfect when you're pregnant and of course sometimes you don't we all have different bumps we all grow in different places we're all beautiful every pregnant body is beautiful and yet we're only looking at a certain type of body shape and again it's usually the size 8 to 10 girl with a very small neat bump no swelling anywhere which I was swelling I was you know everything was swelled up for me and so I started a campaign to just have a disclaimer on the websites so it's just a bit more transparent for the consumer I just thought it was really important for there to be just some wording that says this model is wearing a bump she is not actually pregnant I mean we have other disclaimers saying this model is five foot ten she's wearing a size 10 we have that why don't we have it for you're wearing a fake bump or you're not so I've managed to make that difference that change which was awesome and then and then Absolutely obviously amazing I mean I've nothing else to do to be fair I was on maternity leave for 17 weeks <laughs> I mean but I mean I didn't know I didn't know at all yeah I it's bizarre it's, I, I, it's, it's crazy uh, yeah, it is. It is. And the, and the more that I started talking about it and the more response I got from people, I realised, actually, yeah, this is bizarre. Like, why is this happening? And obviously, I've got loads of model friends who've been pregnant and they've gone through the same thing, lost their job, couldn't work. One of my friends did loads of maternity modelling with the fake bump. When she got pregnant, they fired her. <laughs> so they... I mean, it's just completely and utterly ironic. So there you know, lots of brands reasoning is we don't want the model to feel tired on set. It's, you know, it's not good for health and safety. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. Because I've worked in studios with pregnant stylists, makeup artists, photographers who are heavily pregnant, working up to 38, 39 weeks and still working on their feet all day. So the whole like health and safety thing, that's not the issue. They just want the clothes to look great. So I'm pleased that I did that. And 
I mean, there are brands that do use real pregnant models. You know, there are some like mother care, unfortunately, which went under, but they always used real pregnant girls. And there are brands that do, but there are a lot that don't. And to, to get that disclaimer on websites, I'm really proud of because mm. if it can just help one person with their mental health, because you know, when you're pregnant, you're so hormonal, your body's changed. There are some women that really have a hard time with being pregnant. And if you're looking at these images online to buy yourself a nice dress, and you're going, ah, oh, this girl looks amazing. I don't look anything like that. I'm not gonna buy it. How come her bump is so perfect? What's wrong with my bump? You don't want to question yourself when you're pregnant because you're absolutely beautiful just the way you are. So you said 31 with your first pregnancy. How did yeah. you, meet your partner and what was his view on all of this stuff at the time the fact that you would be taking time off etc so i met my husband through my brother it's a lovely story actually they went traveling separately they didn't know each other they went traveling around the world took a year out and this is before social media they bumped into each other in five different countries randomly and and i remember my brother like emailing home saying i bumped into jesse again <laughs> and he was like i think there's something in this i think it means something and then when they came home after a year, I met Jesse and I was like, well, yep, that's the reason because I love this man. I, I meet him <laughs> in my life. So we've been together now for 12 years and obviously always been very supportive. Whenever we've decided to have children, I have said to him categorically, I will not be able to pay for anything. I will not have an income. Mm. And he's like, okay, well, you know, we'll just make it work. And we, asked, we have always made it work. Um, he did help me with the campaign. He had some really good ideas and it was actually his idea for me to start. Mama still got it in the first place. So yeah, he's he's great. Like I, I do take the piss out of him in my reels, but he's fine with it. And you know, it's real life, isn't it? So you know, no I one's mean, perfect. So how did you manage that maternity leave then? Because obviously, if you're freelancing or you're just employed by an agency and you don't have the perks of just being paid for however long or whatever, no. how did you decide to yourself? Okay, this is how long I'm gonna take off or this is what I'm going to do because it must have been quite a strange space to be in. It was really strange. I felt completely lost and it's not a good thing to feel when you're about to become a mother. Like I remember feeling like this is when I should feel really secure and grounded in my job and I didn't at all. So I actually started working at an agency, Milk Management, which is where I am now. They are very good with letting models work in the office every now and then just to get some money because they know that pregnant models don't necessarily work all the time. And so I worked in an office for a while and I really enjoyed it actually. It was really fun to kind of see the other side of the industry and it's really hard work being a booker. And then that became quite a full-time thing and that started to take over my actual modeling side of things like after I had the baby and then I had my second son and I had this light bulb moment in fact lots of things happen when I'm bored <laughs> creativity um, comes from boredom yeah, that's why that's so true so I was feeding my six-month-old baby feeling quite bored and a bit like blah to be honest and I got an email from my agent saying a shoot's come up in Italy do you want to do it? Great client, great photographer, great team. Sounded too good to be true, to be honest. She said, do you want to do it? Do you think you're ready for it? And it was the perfect email at the perfect time because I was feeling quite, yeah, just blah, just in this fog of motherhood and doing nothing for yourself and catching yourself in the mirror and being like, oh my God, who is that? And everything being about your children. And so this email was lovely to receive. And it was at that point where I said to my six-month-old son, well, I guess mum has still got it. 
And then this light bulb just went off. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm going to start a blog. And it's going to be called Mama Still Got It. And it's going to be about looking after yourself, confidence, you know, laughter, making the most out of motherhood and just quite a positive spin on everything. And I bought the, the domain name straight away. Couldn't believe it was available, to be honest, and didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was a little bit embarrassed, actually, to kind of say to people, I'm going to start this. I actually said to some close friends, you'll see more of me on my Instagram. And I'm not self-obsessed. I'm just trying to start something. And they were like, hey, go for it. And I'm really pleased that I did because now my whole blog idea has turned into a business and I'm loving it. And, I, and I'm just so happy that I can make a difference to other mothers out there that are going through that same feeling of fog and dreary and blah that we all go through. Motherhood is wonderful, but there are so many moments of this actually isn't that wonderful. And I just wanted to say that's, that's all right, but you've still got it. Never lost it. I think it's a great message. And five years ago now it's all. So I think it was 2017. Yeah. I posted, yeah, that I was like, okay, this is it. I'm doing it. I changed my Instagram name. It was a slow starter. I did feel slightly awkward posting some things and I did lose a lot of followers that were people that I actually knew, like old work colleagues or whatever. And I was a bit like, oh God, am I doing the wrong thing? And again, like Jessie was always very much, just keep going, just keep going, just, just go, just keep going. And I did, and I'm really pleased that I did because yeah, it's now turned into something I'm really excited about. And a lot of blood, sweat of tears has got into make it happen and it, and it has done and it, and it, yeah, so yeah. Anyone out there who wants to start a business or have an idea, just go for it. Doesn't matter if you don't know what the hell you're doing, just do it because you never know where it could take you. That's all I'm going to say. Just go for it. This is your chance. This is your message. Go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. But just rewinding slightly and going back to that, your first birth with Basil, how did you find that sort of changed your identity? My birth was actually incredible. I decided to have an independent midwife and I decided to give birth at home quite early on. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I went down the route of hypnobirthing and really practicing breathing and just having that one-to-one -one relationship with my midwife every week for like 40 weeks. I just had full trust in her. And I did give birth at home, it took four hours. It was extremely painful, don't four get me hours. wrong. From start to finish? Four hours, yeah. yeah. So quick. I mean, I was just I, I was just really, really relaxed. And there was so much in there. I was extremely relaxed. I was at home, everything was dark, and I had candles and relaxing music. And I had full trust in my midwife, and Jessie was with me. And I was in a birthing pool, and I just really focused on giving birth. I mean, I really did do the research I revised, you know, it's like running a marathon, you have to train for it. And I did exactly that. And there were lots of people against it, like my parents and Jesse's parents were like, I think it's a bad idea. It's your first, you've got no idea what you're, what you're doing. And that actually made me want to do it even more. I was like, well, I'm going to prove you all wrong. And I did give birth at home in a birthing pool with no drugs, not even gas and air. I did ask for the gas and air, but the midwife left it in the car and she didn't want to <laughs> leave me. So... <laughs> So I did do it all by myself, which Amazing. I am really proud of. And I just remember feeling like I did it. I've done it. And I remember holding my baby and being like, 
what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> I spent all this time thinking about giving birth. I didn't actually read up on anything about what you to do when the baby comes. I absolutely no idea and it was a bit overwhelming actually like this is my responsibility forever holy fuck and the midwife left us after she 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 did all the checks and did what she needed to do with the baby and me and then she put me into bed with a cup of tea and she went okay bye and i was like what the fuck just happened <laughs> please stay help me like what the and we gave birth we gave birth i gave birth at two o'clock in the morning and she left at about five in the morning maybe even earlier than that and so jesse and i were just in bed with this baby just completely in awe of what just happened but also a bit like don't know what we're doing which is i guess normal and i'll admit i didn't have that instant connection I didn't have that instant bond that you always read about or like I've never felt like this before this love is the best I've ever like I didn't have that straight away and I didn't tell anyone at the time because I thought oh my god what does that say about me and I don't think I got that instant connection until he was about three weeks old and then something just triggered and I was like oh my god hi there you are i'm your mum and i'm here for the journey now i think i it just it was delayed and, and and i know now that's completely normal and at the same time that i gave birth beyonce gave birth to her first daughter blue ivy and i was reading everywhere quotes from her saying this is love this is something i've never felt before and there was a part of me that was like what's wrong with me i don't have this immediate love bond thing but it did come and it was there whereas with my second that bond was there immediately and same with my third maybe that maybe it was the my way of transitioning from being a woman into a mother and it was just my mind was just catching up with my body but you know got there in the end so yeah you, good. you did and I think what I find fascinating about this story is that home birth and independent midwives hypnobirthing has exploded in the last mm. couple of years but even then I mean me mentioning it to the older generation etc they're still a bit like what like <laughs> what is yeah, that true. it sounds really weird and we don't get it no it's true yeah so I've... did you feel quite alone on that journey and what inspired you to be like no actually I think I'm going to do this myself I'm going to do it at home and I'm going to do it in this way because I think that's really interesting nine years ago that's actually quite a long time ago I was inspired by a good friend of mine she had the same midwife she gave birth before I was pregnant and she had a really great time and I thought well that sounds great and also I have a or I did have a fear of being in a hospital mm. uh, as a child I was really accident prone I was constantly in and out of hospitals and they just re resembled illness and sick and bad stuff so I thought I don't want to have that mindset so I I just decided quite early on I want to give birth at home. Mm. I had heard of hypnobirthing, probably from my friend more than anything else. Because, yeah, at the time I wasn't on any social media. I wasn't in any mum network thing. It was just word of mouth from other friends of mine that had given birth before me. And, and she had a great time with this midwife. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do the same then and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it is literally because of my fear of hospitals. Whereas that fear of hospitals vanished after I gave birth to my second because I actually did end up going into hospital. Okay. Because I started hemorrhaging and they they saved me. 
so now I'm very thankful for the NHS. They literally saved my life. And so because of that, then with the third, I just went straight into hospital mm. with hypnobirthing. And that was also an amazing experience. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's all about where you feel safe in whatever circumstance. So, of course, that must have mm. changed for you with your second, because, of course, the home is the safe space. You had such a positive experience with Basil. Mm. And then, obviously, you're in this awful, out-of-control space where you're thinking, actually, I need, I need medical help. Mm. Where do you go? Obviously, you go to the hospital. But that sounds like it was terrifying to no, be it was, it was home. What it happened? Was, it was absolutely frightening. I was all um, set up to give birth at home with the, the same independent midwife. And I was two days overdue and Basil at the time was three. Mm. And I was lying on the sofa and he just jumped on my tummy. And I remember thinking, well, that can't be good. Uh... And then a few hours later, I thought my waters had broken. So I went to the loo, about to phone the midwife and say, time to come over. And it was just blood. I mean, it was like I'd been shot. The blood just didn't stop. And I'm talking clots falling out. Sorry to be graphic, but it was frightening. And my midwife, who's extremely calm and holistic and spiritual, I called her and I told her and she just went, call an ambulance immediately, which yeah. I was like... And then you oh know that shit's getting real. Yeah, like, she means business. Like, yeah, yeah the shit's getting yeah. real. So the ambulance came, and they were absolutely fantastic. And I was blue-lighted to the hospital. And then I was in a waiting room, because there weren't many midwives there. By this point, it's now 10 o'clock at night. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, and I was having really strong contractions, and I was bleeding. And I was like, I need to be seen now. Okay. Like, I'm really and, sorry, I, and actually, there was one like, midwife that I don't now. think Hello. really believed me. Yeah, because I think they they probably get a lot of pregnant women going, ah, help like, me, help, help me. me. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm more important than anyone else. And she was like, oh, fine, let's have a look, let's have a look. And she laid me on the table. And whilst I was on the table, I had a con like a table. You know what I mean? Like yeah. yeah. And whilst I was on there, I had a contraction. And every time I had a contraction, I would just lose more and more blood. And then I remember seeing her face, and she was like, okay, you're going now. And so they burst my waters to see if there was any meconium. And, you know, the baby was fine because obviously I was worried about the baby. The baby so I assume they had fine. you on the CTG thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they burst my waters. And then as soon as that happened, I just went into full on contractions and mm. the whole water's being broken to placenta being born the entire thing was 45 minutes it was absolutely awful and I don't like saying horrible pregnancy stories because they might be pregnant oh you're pregnant you don't want to hear stories like this but it's very rare and they did say to me after you've given birth there's a possibility that you might bleed more and if you do we're gonna have to get some extra help in I mean, it was a completely different experience from my first labour. I mean, I was literally, it would have been a perfect episode of One Born Every Minute. I was screaming and just saying, just cut me open. And I was, I don't even know who I was. Mm. I was not myself. But as soon as the baby came, obviously you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> and everything's okay and the pain's gone. I was really high on gas and air. My God, that stuff is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was, and I was holding my baby and we were all laughing about how quick that was. And the midwife who was with me on the NHS, she was like, that's the quickest delivery I've ever had. She was like, that was unbelievable. And I was like, it wasn't actually, it was horrendous. But then I started hemorrhaging even more. So then lots of people came in, I don't know, like emergency buzzer pressed, everyone rushed in, baby was taken away. And I remember saying to somebody who was doing something down there, I don't know what they were doing, but I remember saying, just leave me alone. I've just given birth, just leave me alone. Mm. And they said, well, we're saving your life. And I was like, okay, continue. Okay, you can stay. <laughs> You're allowed. 
Yeah. And because of that, I was very wary about having a third child because of that mm. experience. I, if it hadn't been for the NHS, if that had happened 100 years ago, I would have died. So obviously that kind of stays with you. So when I had my third Inca, I did go down the whole hypnobirthing route. I really trained my mind and I went into hospital and I must say it was the most beautiful labour. I had headphones in the entire time listening mm. to positive affirmations over and over and over throughout my entire labour. I mean, my poor husband, he was next to me and I was like, I'm not talking to you. I don't I'm, need you. They're not, they're not that helpful, are they? I think he started rubbing my back and I was like, don't touch me. Um, and it was the most incredible birth. And I'm really pleased that I finished my motherhood on a high of birth stories because having a traumatic birth can really, it stays with you. And even talking to you about it now with my experience with Sunny, I can feel it. I'm feeling like I'm reliving it. It's just, yeah, so it's, it's so scary and to think about what could have happened, you know, what could no. have been. I know, and I remember saying, like, is the baby okay? Is the baby okay? They're like, the baby's fine, we're worried about you. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Your husband must have been beside himself. Do you know what? I asked him about this and he was like, no, I was all right. I was like, <laughs> <really>? I love it. <laughs> You're rejoicing <laughs> me in pain? But he will never really show that he's upset to me because he doesn't want me to worry about him. But when all the drama died down and everyone was safe and I had to stay in hospital for a couple of days, he called a few people to say, to announce the baby has been born. And when he was on the phone to his brother, he just broke down. And I knew that was his way of being like, holy fuck, what the fuck just happened? And everything's okay. But he's, yeah, he's, I don't think he would ever say that he was, he would never say that he's worried about anything because he doesn't want me to worry. So how did you then find those two postnatal periods just contrasting like Basil and Sunny then? Because obviously Basil, we had this amazing, beautiful home birth perfection, but then still the weirdness of like, oh my God, the fourth trimester, what the fuck am I doing? Even though my labour with Basil was great, the aftermath, like the, the fourth trimester was awful mm -hmm. and my labour with Sunny was awful, but the fourth trimester was wonderful. So and this amazing. is because, yeah, it's just bizarre. And, th and, and this is because with Basil, because I gave birth at home and I had this midwife who as I said was extremely almost anti-medical so I I had a little tear and she didn't stitch me up she just said it will just heal naturally she gave me some herbs she gave me certain things to put you know in my vulva and she was like this will heal it will take longer but it will heal you. And obviously, again, first baby, none of my friends that I'm really close to had had babies, wasn't in a mum network, didn't talk to anyone about it. So I just assumed that it was normal to feel in constant pain in my vagina for months afterwards. Months. Every time that I sat down, months. And I couldn't hold in any urine. And I thought that was normal. So if I needed to go to the loo, I would literally be pissing myself. So the minute you had the urge, it would just happen. Yeah, it would just go. And the pain in my vagina was so raw and it lasted for months. And I remember saying to my midwife, I'm, I'm really, I'm really pain. And I was literally taking the strongest painkillers every four hours on the clock, every four hours, like the, the strongest painkillers that you can use to breastfeed. Because I was in so much pain thinking it was normal. And obviously you think how many times you're sitting down to breastfeed with your baby. You're sitting down a lot in the fourth trimester. And it was just so, so painful that it put a huge cloud over my first experience of being a mother. 
Now, when I obviously, when I had Sonny, being in hospital, they sewed me up afterwards. And I remember being in my hospital bed, obviously, because after my whole experience, I was lying in a bed for the next two days, all cords and wires and whatever, and a catheter. Mm. And they were ready to take everything off. And they were like, you can't leave the hospital until you've done a wee. And, and the whole, I was actually terrified of even just sitting up in bed or moving. Because I was like, my vagina is going to kill me. And I had everything prepared. I had my really strong painkillers at the ready. I had everything at the ready to deal with this pain. And I remember nothing hurting. And I remember actually, like, bouncing up and down on my bed, going, you know, or my bum, going, I can't feel anything. And I went to the loo and I could use my pelvic floors when I was passing urine. I could actually hold it in and then release it. And for me, that was like... Oh my God, there is no pain. My vagina feels normal. It was actually better than what it was after Basil. I was like, this is amazing. I feel like a born again virgin. This is amazing. <laughs> and um, so the fourth trimester with Sunny was unbelievable. I was so happy that I wasn't in any pain. And then with Inca, same, because I was in hospital, same experience. There is part of me that thinks... Had I known better, I would have asked my, my midwife at the time to have stitched me up. Mm. It would have, would have made my experience a bit, bit better. Did that affect your perception or relationship with her that she'd made that call or said? No, not at all. I thought yeah. it was normal. I mean, she was fantastic mm. and she really looked after me and, and she's been a midwife for like 30 years and maybe she didn't understand how bad I tore. I don't mm. know. But looking back... If I could have gone back, I would have probably taken myself to the hospital and just got a second opinion because I was in such pain and was sitting on rubber rings and just, it just wasn't enjoyable. And I think when you're in constant pain, also you're like, I've done this. I've had the pain in my vagina. Why is it still there? You don't know what's normal when you are a first time mum. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers, isn't it, for women who are having babies for the first time, which is that it's very hard to advocate for yourself when you've never done something before mm. you don't know how to speak up necessarily no. because if you've got somebody who's very knowledgeable like a midwife or a doctor or whatever saying you're fine this is normal chill out mm. or and it mm. makes you feel like oh mm. okay maybe I'm being oversensitive or whatever it can be very mm. difficult to sort of assert yourself and say no this doesn't feel right yeah and actually going back to being in that hospital with Sunny and this is why I'm really grateful because obviously with Sunny I had experience having a baby with Basil and this is something I'll never forget because it's, it's a bit it's a bit haunting and I, I should have reported it to be honest but I was in the intensive care unit whatever it's called and by this point it's like two three in the morning Sunny is like a few hours old and obviously I've got as I said I've got all the leads in my body and whatever and I've got Sunny on me like skin on skin and breastfeeding's fine and so Jessie gone home to get some sleep and this night nurse or night staff came into the hospital came up to my bed and she said your baby's not breathing properly I need to take him away and obviously I can't move I'm stuck in the bed I can't do anything and I said to her I was like no my baby's fine and she was like no your baby's not breathing properly I need to take him away and get some checks and I just went no my baby is fine he's pink he's crying he's drinking milk he's fine and then she was like okay well don't say I didn't warn you and then walked off and I phoned Jess, I was like, you need to come back now. I'm freaking out. They're going to take my yeah. baby away from me. Like, this, I don't know what's happening. And I'm pleased that I had the knowledge to know that my baby was okay. Had that been my first child... You would have just given him... I would have been like, okay, okay yeah. I'll go, take the baby. And then I'm stuck in a bed at 2, 3 in the morning, alone, can't move, wondering where the hell my baby's gone. I mean, that would mess with your mental health. Yeah, massively. 
So I'm pleased that I had that experience. And I know any mothers that are new to motherhood, you know, just can just ask or people that have been through stuff before and I always ask or speak up because there's no right or wrong to any parenting. There's there is no manual. It's literally all about experience and asking other people that have been through it. Or well, it's a a journey. It is a journey and I think it's a funny one because as we were talking about earlier with like just that difficulty of advocating for yourself in the beginning, when you've got medical professionals or it's the first time that you're doing something, it can be really difficult to speak up but also to trust your instincts in the same way that you would yeah. normally. And Definitely. There's like an acronym for anybody who's listening that's like to use your brains, which I'm sure that you would have heard of maybe via your mm-hmm. hypnobirthing, which is every time somebody says something to you, just thinking about what are the benefits of this? What are the risks? What are the mm-hmm. alternatives? What does my instinct tell me? What happens if we do nothing? Mm-hmm. And then what does the science say? And it's just a really quick and easy way, almost just like a checklist. And they're all just people. And mm-hmm. that's why people go and get second opinions because... Yeah. Just because one midwife says something or one nurse says something, it just doesn't make it right. And I think as mums, our instinct is right more often than we think, even if your baby's only a few hours old. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, mum knows best. You have that. You've built a person inside you. You you have more bond with that child more than anyone else. You do know best, Mm -hmm. definitely, 100%. And that's why I knew lying in that that bed with Sonny on me and, and I was like, he's absolutely fine. I was like, he's absolutely fine. You're not taking him away from me whilst I'm in this state. That's amazing, though, that after your experience as well, just to be like, no, actually. So it must Mm. have been something in the way that she presented it that had just really got your guard up because Mm. that's, you know, if she'd, I don't know, maybe presented it differently, but it sounds like she was just sort of trying to take him off you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's frightening. I mean, obviously, your mind spirals and, you know, you think, oh, you know, but it's just, I just worry if that same woman went up to any other mother in a very vulnerable state saying the same thing and saying to a mother that doesn't have any other experience with a baby that she would have been like, okay, here, take my baby. And then you don't know where where the baby's gone. And at the time, it was like two, three in the morning. Jessie wasn't there. It was really dark and quiet in the hospital. I was like, this isn't right. Like, you can't just come. You Like, no, bugger Mm. off. So I'm pleased that I told her (laughs) to leave me alone, and she did. So obviously you've got three beautiful children and Mama Still Got It as a blog is still going. You've got all these reels that are cracking people up and obviously really helping and enhancing your career what are the main ways that you think that motherhood has really changed your professional identity oh gosh I mean being a mother obviously changes a lot of things in certain ways it's worked for the better because it's opened more doors for me now I mean uh, to be honest but before I came a mother I mean I'm talking like in my 20s when being a mother wasn't even on my radar I used to have this thinking that as soon as you became a mother your life was over like that was it Like I used to see pregnant women on the street and go, why would you do that? Your life is now over. And I always had that thought. And obviously, because I wasn't ready to have children myself and I was never really a maternal person. And then it wasn't until I became a mother that I realized actually that's not true at all. Just because you are a mother doesn't mean that the world has to stop. If anything, you can grow from it. I think I've actually become a stronger person since becoming a mother. My work hasn't been my number one priority. My children have, and I quite like that. I was so engrossed in work that it's actually quite nice to know that's not as important now. I mean, I just want to be there. Trying to get the balance is obviously difficult. You want to be there to get your kids from the school gates and work and you're trying to do it all. And I think that's the tough thing, trying to get the balance of everything. And I do try and 
clock off from being at work when I'm with the kids and vice versa. And that's why homeschooling was so hard because you're trying to do two jobs at once. And it's just, I, I really hope that's the end of homeschooling because it was just too hard. And I'm in a profession where I, you know, I couldn't get furloughed and I had to still work and, and, and be a teacher and, my God, and, have a, and have a baby. It was not fun. <laughs> No, but it sounds like made you so much stronger as it does to so many women. And I mean, I know that everybody who's listening to this will have probably already checked out Louise's page and all of her stuff by now. But if anybody wants to find you on Instagram, what's your handle just for everybody listening? It's Mama Still Got It with an underscore and it's just M-A. Yes. Still Got It and then an underscore. Come and come and find me. Let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> Louise, it's been like an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for persisting with our thousands of technical difficulties. I know. I've oh kept her for far too long, so I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you made it to the end. Enjoyed it? Let me know on Instagram or Twitter, or better yet, drop me a rating on iTunes. Have a lovely day, and if you are a parent, have an even better night. Bye, everybody. 